Get your gear ready. This is a Sherpa's Guide to Innovation. Welcome to another episode of A Sherpa's Guide to Innovation, a podcast dedicated to guiding you along your innovation expedition. I am Ben Tingey, and it is my pleasure to welcome a fellow jobs-to-be-done enthusiast and Brigham Young University alum, just like me, as well as a product strategy, design, and development rock star. Berman Painter is the innovation and strategy lead at the EY Wavespace here in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm not going to reveal too much about what Wavespace is. I'll leave that up to Berman. So without further ado, Berman, welcome to a Sherpa's Guide to Innovation podcast. Hello, hello. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm super excited about our conversation. Likewise, likewise. Awesome. A quick note to our listeners, please subscribe to and share our podcast with a colleague. You can connect with us on LinkedIn. Uh, We're also on Medium. You can find us on Twitter at SherpaPod. And let us know what you think about this episode and give us a review and a rating on iTunes. We'd also encourage you to follow the Healthcare Podcast Network at HealthPodNet on Twitter for other exceptional healthcare podcasts. All right, Berman, are you ready to begin? Ready to rock and roll. Let's do it. All right, so this is our typical intro question that we like to, uh, to get things started. So fill in the blank. I wanted to be a blank when I grew up. Now I'm a blank and they both blank. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, so let, let, me, let me give it a try. Uh, I wanted to be an animator when I grew up. Hmm. Now I'm a, I'm I'm not really quite sure, facilitator slash strategist slash designer slash whatever. Uh, And they both, I think they both tell stories. Yeah, that's a great connection. Absolutely. Very good. Were you uh, an artist growing up? I I tried. I, I did some sketching mostly comic books, I guess, when I was middle school, high school, don't draw as much anymore on, on physical paper and pen. Uh, everything's all digital now, but I, I enjoyed it. That's how I kind of occupied my time. Awesome. Very, very cool. Tell us a little about your career arc. How did, how did Berman become Berman? It was a lot of ways, I guess. I mean, a lot of it had to do with with my upbringing. Upbringing I'm from the rural South, Northeast Alabama, and you know, raised in a small farming community. And there were you know a couple of really interesting family dynamics where, on my mother's side of the family, you know, they were generational Southern farmers, very hard workers. And then on my my dad's side, that they, they were the creatives, the artists, uh, the city folk. So I spent a lot of time growing up watching my dad do do just a ton of graphic design. And then his sister was a literal painter. Like she was artist, did things in galleries. And every time she would come up to visit, uh, you know, she would show me some type of technique or things she was working on. Uh, you know, I was probably, you know, 10 or, 10 or so years old. And then we had a, a, a correspondence thing that we would do where I would illustrate something on on the outside of a letter, mail that to her, 
and she would do the same thing and send it back. So we did that for years. So, you know, between the two sides of the family, you know, one fostered a really strong work ethic, the other fostered this creative side. And then, uh, you know, I guess instead of, you know, flipping burgers in high school, I ended up getting a job working at a, a small graphic design shop. And it was, you know, it, it's rural Alabama. There, there's, there's not too much out there uh, on their creative side to do. And, uh, you know, the business model of, of this small print shop was they would go into a, a small restaurant and go, hey, we'll print you some nice menus for free if you let us put ads on the menu. Uh, so for all throughout high school, you know, my, my job was designing menus and designing the ads that went on the menus. And, uh, you know, this was 20 plus years ago. So we didn't have a four color press. Everything was done, you know, one color on vinyl and, uh, you know, black and white inserts. Uh, and then, you know, there was you know, maybe a couple of years in, they ended up buying uh, like an old, felt like an antique Heidelberg press, four color press uh, with like manual dials to, to dial in uh, the color alignment. And, you know, we went to town doing four color press and that was, that was a blast. Uh, so a lot of my career was rooted in in graphic design uh, hmm. there in the beginning. Yeah, and, and it took you all over. I mean, you, you worked for quite a few companies, and um, you know, recently at Cardinal. Yeah, I mean, you, you've. I mean, you, some of your roles have been kind of design focused, and others have been maybe a little more development or or, or strategy focused. Yeah, there's there's been kind of a transition. I, I've been a little bit ADD when it comes to jobs in that, you know, my, I, I like to keep myself busy and, and do new things. Uh, whenever I'm in the situation where it feels like I'm doing the same thing every single day, or it feels like I'm not growing, then I'll either find something new or find another job. <laughs> uh, and you know, the, the transition went from, from graphic design and then the web kind of became a thing. So I moved in and was a webmaster for a while. Uh, <laughs> And then turned into, uh, you know, a web designer, did more front-end work, design work. And then after I moved to Charlotte, really, uh, UX became much more commonplace, or at least it's always been around, but it, it became the new shiny object. So I, I changed my title first. So I was now a UX designer, but I really didn't understand a lot about uh, you know, the core principles of, of UX and realized I, w I was totally off base. Uh, you know, spent a lot of time uh, studying and learning, reading books, practicing things uh, so that I could really uh, get the depth that I felt I needed on the UX side of the house. And then, you know, spent a stint doing just dev work just so I could hyper-focus on that for a bit. And then I uh, spent the past handful of years working as a consultant, which kind of scratches the itch where everything always changes all the time. Uh, every project is new. Uh, everything's fast. There's always a lot going on. And, uh, you know, it, it keeps, keeps my brain pleased, occupied, busy, and, uh, you know, for the most part, enjoying what's going on. Great. That's great. So the, the EY Wave Space recently, relatively, opened in Charlotte. Uh, and, and there are others all around the world. What, what's the purpose of the wave space? The wave space has, so it has a few purposes. I think one is sort of a paradigm shift for EY. For, for those that aren't aware, EY has historically been an accounting firm, one of the big four accounting firms. 
we still do a whole bunch of accounting work. Um, I'm obviously not an accountant. Uh, you, you wouldn't want me to do any of your books. Uh, bad <laughs> things would happen. But they'd look nice. That yeah, that they would look very. They would be very well designed and very well structured. The math would be totally <laughs> wrong, though. Uh, EY a number of years ago decided that they wanted to go in deep on on digital transformation work, and as part of that, that they started to build out uh, an innovation center to, to really house uh, some of their core innovation offerings. That was about four or so years ago, I think, since we opened the first wave space, I think we're up to 42 centers around the globe right now. Charlotte was number 30 something. So I think we launched a number of months ago and there've already been a handful that have opened in other parts of the world. The other purpose aside from changing the paradigm of how the firm works and approaches some of these, these challenging digital transformations is to really impact our clients uh, and our community and, and how that works together. So within the way space, if we think about it from our, our client's perspective, it's really three things. One is we have this really nice, robust methodology that we use that allows us to bring our clients in and our facilitators jump in and craft what we call way space experiences. Uh, it's this very rapid pace, outcome-driven approach to tackle really big, challenging problems, get stakeholders, teammates, uh, you know, diverse thinking in the same room at the same time and accelerate their ability to understand and break down problems, come up with solutions to those problems, prioritize which solutions may provide the biggest benefit or the most value, uh, and then help them plan what happens next. And then, you know, as a firm... Uh, EY has a lot of deep capability in a ton of different sectors where, you know, we can then help our clients make some of those big ideas real. So I would say that kind of encapsulates what we do in the wave space yeah. from a client perspective. Mm -hmm. Are there some memorable projects that you might be able to share of uh, things that you've been able to do in the wave space with a client? Yes and no. Um, <laughs> and maybe not mention the, the company. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Some of some of the most rewarding, uh, I think, for me is we're we're bringing in people that are trying to solve challenges that impact other people. So you know, healthcare comes to mind, not not intentionally because this is Atrium, but I enjoy the healthcare space because the the things that you do impact people in need. So in any healthcare session, we've had a couple that have been just you know fantastic to work on, where you're you're impacting patients' lives. Uh, those are great. There are some community things that I can talk about uh, in a bit more detail and name some names where, you know, as an example, we're working with the YMCA and, you know, that they're definitely heavily impacted by COVID. And because their their whole mission is to impact and serve the community, they have locations that are closed and they can't do that right now. Uh, and they're trying to figure out which communities do we have in, in Mecklenburg County that, that need the most support? And then how can they safely open some of those locations to best serve those? And this is being done in partnership with, with the city and the county uh, and other organizations that are very community-minded. Uh, so the, those types of sessions are, are super rewarding. Yeah, I, I can imagine where you're pulling in all those stakeholders and, as you said, moving really quickly. Tell me about the vision of the wave space being a mechanism to, to foster 
an innovation community in Charlotte. I mean, I've, I've attended several events at the wave space where it was a really amazing group of, of innovators and, and entrepreneurs and others all together uh, working on, on problems together, designing together, collaborating. How do you see the wave space playing that convener type of role? You know, that that's one of the things that that's keeping me at EY is that, you know, that their point of view is that they're investing money in, in this nice location. And we have a facility that, that's essentially used from nine to five. So how can we, we take this facility, some of the technology and the tools and just the stuff that we have and make sure some of those resources are available to, to broader Charlotte. So one of the things that we've done is we, we've opened it up to allow nonprofits and community organizations to come in and, and leverage the space from, from time to time, my team will jump in and help them with facilitation, uh, like we're doing with the Y. Uh, and, and we do that on EY's dime. So I, I'm glad to let me spend their money <laughs> uh, from a resource standpoint. And, and they're supportive and, and appreciative and, uh, you know, allow us to, to spend time as a team on, on things that we care about that, that's not solely focused on earning money for the firm. You know, I run a handful of free events and community organizations so that they've let me, you know, spend my time and, and some of the firm's resources to host like the IXDA organization so that they would come into the wave space. Uh, right now, we're using some of the EY tools to, to run our events virtually right now, which has been very great. Uh, there's a front end organization as well. We're doing the same thing. As, as things come back, you know, other meetups are also welcome to, to come in and use the space. And then, you know, we, we've had some conversations with other nonprofits that, you know, want to host events and other things there. We just didn't quite get the chance to to, to fully enable that before uh, everything went into lockdown. Well, and, and what a gift to have those resources and to be able to to spread them around and, and foster that community. I think it's been really exciting having been an innovation just the last maybe three three years to see how much that community has grown. I mean, there, there are some pioneers in the city that have uh, really kind of kicked it off, but then just in the last, I'd say couple of years has been a really neat um, explosion of, uh, of innovation, collaboration and, and, and community in the city. Oh, no, I totally agree. I mean, there's, there's some great stuff going on in, in the community space and the corporate space there, there are a ton of companies building out, new centers, bringing in more jobs, which is, you know, great for Charlotte, great for the community where, you know, Lowe's is doing their center down the road from us. I think Ally just finished building their center, which is looking fantastic. Bank of America just finished a building. Duke's been an Optimus now for a while and they're doing some amazing stuff over there. And, and there's some interesting partnerships that are coming out of some of the stuff between the city and Microsoft and, and, and Duke. Lowe's has done some great stuff as well uh, through, through covid uh, and, and I'm sure there's a, a ton more more companies and community organizations that are shifting their approach very quickly to make sure they can still serve their clients, serve the communities, serve their customers. And it's forcing forcing innovation in certain areas just so folks can can make things work. Yeah, it's ex- it's a really exciting time right now. Well, Berman, you are an expert facilitator. That's why you were brought on and that's the work that you do. Any tips or tricks you could share about effective facilitation, uh, particularly of, of large groups where there 
seeking for some type of creative output and and maybe also how you've pivoted in the COVID environment to do things virtually? So it's a great question. I mean, facilitation is, is definitely requires some finesse where it's, it's not just getting people in the room and running a meeting. The, the thing that I think makes the, the way space unique and, and, and what I personally enjoy, enjoy about facilitating is that it's all about the people, the team that you work with, put together the plan to design and experience, uh, and then the people involved that are participating, sharing their ideas, uh, in some cases being vulnerable on, on solving some really dicey challenges, and then collectively working together to, to solve those problems is, is you know, what I enjoy. From a facilitation standpoint, one of the hardest things, uh, I think, especially as you, if you're going into that for for the first time, or you're somewhat new to it is as a facilitator, you have no answers. You are there to, to guide people, to provide structure, to pull out questions, to help those that may be a bit more introverted, feel comfortable to share ideas, to help those that may be a little too extroverted to, to tone it down a bit. So other voices can be heard so that you are, are, are filling, filling the group with uh, enough shared knowledge and understanding that they can collectively make decisions and come out of that session or a workshop with some fairly tangible outcomes and a level of accountability on, on what's going to be done, who's going to do it, and, and when do they need to get something done by. To, in order to, to move people through that process, it requires a lot of attention. It requires that you listen, uh, and it requires that you get much better at asking the right questions, uh, so you can help people move along through the process. I was really struck by what you said that as a facilitator, you aren't the one with the answers. You're the one creating the environment for the answers to be surfaced or, or uncovered and. And uh, I think that's a really interesting perspective to take, I think, sort of a, a humility about it. But at the same time, as you said, you know, you need to be the one asking the questions and, and pushing the thinking and making sure that everyone's contributing. Yeah, that, that's, that's a great point. Well, so Jay and I knew that you were a kindred spirit when we saw an announcement, I think it was last year, that you were giving a presentation about jobs to be done. Maybe it was with your IXDA organization. I, I think that might've been it. And, and, and um, for our listeners, the IXDA stands for what? Uh, IXDA is, is a global nonprofit called the Interaction Designers Association. Uh, we run the Charlotte chapter. Uh, we're currently working through the process turning into a nonprofit to make things a little bit easier to run and manage. It, it's been in Charlotte now for a couple of years. Uh, it's, it's the rebirth, I guess, of, of, of the old UX meetup, the UX organization, uh, gotcha. to turn it into part of this global entity. So it's been around for about 10 years. Uh, this is our 10 year anniversary uh, of being out in Charlotte. Uh, so we have some celebrations and things that are coming up and, uh, oh, exciting. Uh, yeah. So you're, you're spot on. We, we, we did uh, a jobs be done session, uh, through the meetup. I, I want to say it was, it might've been our first meetup this year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us how, how you came across jobs to be done theory and, and how has it impacted your work as a, I guess as a designer and, and UX, but also as a strategist and, and innovation leader. You know, I've always been, been interested in, in process and 
you know, better ways to, to solve problems. So the way that I look at it is there's, there's a handful of different ways that you can understand and solve a problem. And you have things, you you have standard user centered design principles. Some of that's been, most of that's been rolled under design thinking as, as a term uh, and an approach. Uh, You have lean, uh, you have contextual based design, you have, agile processes and things like that. You have, you know, like the, the, the design sprint uh, approach to get really rapid wins. And, you know, when I was coming, coming across and kind of working through jobs to be done, you know, a number of years ago, the, the really structured, detailed approach jived a little bit better with my brain than, you know, if, if I was comparing it to agile at the time uh, or, or scrum, uh, more like the scrum methodology on um, how you, document problems, write user stories, and then design and develop a solution around those user stories. It, it never really, really jived well with, with my thinking of how to document the work that needed to be done so that you could do your mock-ups or your, your feature set and then get that into customers' or users' hands. Uh, so what I liked about it is that it, it provided a little bit better structure that aligned with the way that I thought on on documenting kind of approach to, you know, visualize how to, you know, essentially in my mind, like change the way that you, you documented your stories. Because I don't know, it just helped, in my mind, it helped, you know, structure that a little bit more, give a little bit more detail and, and reframe, uh, you know, the, the standard sentence that you'll hear that, you know, as a user, I want this. Not saying that user stories are wrong or that they're bad, but the way that a lot of teams tend to document those is, is sometimes that's as far as they go. They write that intro sentence of as a as a so and so I want X, and it never gave enough enough data and enough context to have a designer read that user story and implement it the same way, or at least in, in a mostly similar way. And I always felt like jobs to be done gave gave enough detail where. If if two different designers read the the jobs to be done profile, they they would arrive to a little bit more similar conclusion. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Providing the detail around the context, around the desired progress, and yeah, I, I can see how all of that uh, when when you're when you're giving you know the the programmers and the designers just that much more information plus with a jobs lens. So it's about the progress, not so much about the person. I can see how that would be much more helpful. So same here. I mean, it's, you know, the, the standard way that we've, we've typically tried to, to document those experiences was from a, from a persona point of view. And again, like not saying personas and journeys and and that level of artifact is, is bad. The, the way that it's used sometimes uh, ends up being a static artifact that you know, dies on the vine, if you will, in that we don't maintain it, we don't update it. it it's a single point in time, and then it, it's no longer useful because it's not it's not updated uh, as as you learn more about your customers uh, and, or as you learn more about the product and how customers use that product. Now, I, I haven't stopped using personas and journeys. It's still an integral part of the process. And jobs be done is simply another layer that that help us really hone in on on the goals that the user or the customers have, and, and really, you know, in the essence, you know what they're trying to get done. 
And so it helps bring in, you know, what I feel like is, is more context around the experience, around what they're trying to, to, to get out of the product or the service or a set of features that you're thinking about or have created. Very good. So maybe as, as my concluding question, and maybe to round us out a little bit to go back to uh, um, some of the work that, the, that you do at the WaveSpace, what would be the job to be done for which uh, an organization would hire the wave space and, and your team? Oh, that's such a, such a good question. If I relate this back to, um, you know, jobs to be done, people don't want a workshop. Anybody can do a workshop. People don't even necessarily want an experience. You know, it, it takes a bit more finesse to craft a really immersive experience. What people are really trying to do is they're trying to solve problems that create value for their organization uh, or create value for their customer base or their users or their patients. And what what makes Wayspace unique uh, is that we really hone in on what is the most valuable thing that we can do and then we have the, the methodology and the facilitators and the technology and the, the physical or virtual locations that can help our customers get those jobs done in, in an efficient and a collaborative way uh, that, that you know, hones in on the value and the outcomes and compresses the time that it takes to arrive to the outcomes that they're looking for. Perfect. That was that was excellent on the fly too. A good, uh, a good jobs, job statement. That's great. Well, Berman, I do what I can. Yeah. <laughs> well, Berman, thank you so much for connecting with me remotely for uh, this episode recording. It was wonderful to learn more about your background and the EY wave space and the work that you've done there. Um, it's, it's been a blast. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Until next time. Yeah. Well, this is Ben Tingey. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. can't I'm, I'm not in my closet so i don't know if we can call it a closet studio edition yeah i'll have to keep calling it the closet studio considering <laughs> <laughs> we may be doing these a while at some point yeah. it's like five years from now when people are listening to episode 632 of a sherpa's got an innovation you go back <laughs> to the archives you're like what do you mean closet edition <laughs>